today I want to talk about God for us. And um, it's really important to know that God is for us. And if you, if you start to recognize and realize that in every way God is actually for you, it can really change, um, change everything for us. But um, I want to talk about how we're learning about God. Because we've been doing this series, and I've been, I've been stretching it a bit. Um, and I, the truth is I'm fighting because I, I probably could do this series for a year, honestly. Because what, whatever comes into your head when you say the word God or hear the word God, that's a very important thing about you. And probably everybody in this room has a little different thing that pops into your head when you say God. Um, In fact, one person said this, which I thought it might even be worth trying. Maybe the only way to recover our sense of God is to not use the word for 50 years. A word that's so used, it means this to this person, it means this to this person, it means this to someone else. And uh, and maybe um, our Jewish brothers and sisters have it right where they just refuse to use the name of God. Because it leaves a little more mystery now, no, no penalties if you do, of course, but certainly there's a lot more for us to know. And the thing that we've been trying to talk about when we, when we talk about getting to know God is that if we know God, it's going to require um, some humility. Proverbs talks about this. It, it says in Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs 11, it says, you know, when we're proud, um, you know, then there's disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. So let's say that last line together. With humility comes wisdom. So what's humility? Humility is just that I could be wrong. Anybody here ever been wrong? Um, anybody, how about this? Anybody here ever been embarrass, embarrassingly wrong? Like you put your foot down or you put, you just like, you were sure and you, you went all in. Anybody? Oh man, isn't that the worst? Who's ever, who's ever been in an argument with a family member? Maybe a child or a spouse or something like that. And somewhere in the middle of the argument, you realized you were wrong. But you were too heated. Has anybody been there? <clears throat> I'm too ramped up now. <clears throat> Come on. I can't just I can't just drop the gloves. It's gonna I gotta go take a walk and then I'm gonna I'm gonna get around to admitting I was wrong. It's hard. Humility. So I want to start here. Humility in the way we understand God. And I realize that this could be a little different because really the best pastors are the ones that pound it the hardest. At least that's what people think. They pound it so hard, they're so convinced, and they're so sure, and they just pound it and pound it and pound it. And, and instead, maybe, maybe the approach should be, we're learning this, we're thinking this. I read this recently. I think it was in 1991. Don't, don't quote me if I'm not exactly right. But it was like in 1991 that a certain very large church based in a country that looks like a boot uh, admitted, because <clears throat> I would never, I would never, you know, admitted that Galileo was right. 
Are you, are you with me? Can we use a little more humility in the way we talk about God? 1991. Hadn't we already sent people to the moon by then? In other words, it's, it's better for us, it's better for us, I think, to be humble, to, to realize that maybe we don't know everything. And I, and I want to speak, in, it says it leads to wisdom. And, and I want to talk about this because <clears throat> someone else was, was, you know, was advocating what, what wisdom is versus what just pure knowledge is. Knowledge is what we teach like mostly in our American school systems. Nothing wrong with it. Way to go. But it's knowledge. It's like, can you answer this question? Can you remember this date? Can you memorize this fact? And, and some people talk about, like, <clears throat> we know in multiple ways, not just intellectually. So this is what I think. Sometimes what people are, when they talk about God, they're talking about intellectual ideas. This is what God is like. But there's other ways of knowing. You, you know that. Um, we don't always practice them as well in our educational system. I think we focus on the intellectual kind of knowing. But people will talk about there's, there's a heart-based knowing or emotional-based. Like that's when you walk in a room and you get a vibe. Some of you are a little more in tune emotionally than others. Aren't you? Some of you just say, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> That's for you. <laughs> There's an, you, you get, it's an antenna that goes up. And listen, if you just ignore that and say, That's not a way of knowing, you shove it down, you shove it down, then it's like an unused muscle. It, it won't get. It won't get uh, exploited, so you won't know how to use that. But there's another way. There's bodily knowing. You know things through um, your body. You go, you, you go out and you touch things and you feel things. And, and, and by the way, this isn't just like Chris's pseudoscience or whatever. And I'm, I'm not an expert in this field, but I will say a couple things about it. Did you know, um, did you know this about Albert Einstein? He used to just go out in his little sailboat. It was a, he, used, he called it, a, it was a Yiddish word that for his sailboat meant a little piece of junk. I think, do I have a picture of his, do I have a picture of him in his sailboat? This is, a, this is Einstein in his sailboat. Now, I don't know if you know this, he was a terrible sailor. Here's a guy that taught us all about physics but couldn't figure out how it applied to his sailboat. <clears throat> Honestly, they tell you, little kids went out to rescue him. He, he, all kinds of people would go out and he'd get, he had near misses. He flipped it over one time. His mast was always falling over. He was, he was notoriously a terrible sailor, but you know what he did? He used to go out there and that gal that was with him wrote about this. When the wind was blowing, he'd get behind the, you know, he'd get behind the sail. He'd work the boat a little bit, but when it died down, he'd just drift and he'd get out of his notebook. And he would write. Why? I, you know, years ago, I used to, I used to uh, this was something that I, I knew, like, in here, intuitively, like, I, I need to go for a walk. I'm preparing a sermon, and I should be maybe behind a desk or with some books or behind a computer. But what I, what I intuitively knew is I need to go for a walk. And all of a sudden, things would come to me. 
You see, we, the way our system is set up is we've suppressed these other ways of knowing. Just think with me for a minute. And we've, we've only focused on the intellectual way or, or kind of knowing. But there are other ways. Let me, let's, let me explain it this way. <clears throat> you could say, if it was all about knowing facts, which is what we've unfortunately tried to reduce knowing God to, knowing facts. People say, well, I know this or I know this. If that were true, probably the guy that does my mortgage for my house knows me better than Vicky does. If you put a quiz up here and you ask the guy who's doing the mortgage, <clears throat> when's, what's Chris's social security number? What is, what is his tax return of this? What is his this? What, he could name facts. <clears throat> and there'd be a great chance that Vicky would go, I don't know. I don't care. Does this, does this make sense? But you probably aren't going to convince anybody that he knows me. Does this make sense? He knows me better. He knows facts about me. And if we reduce knowing God, this is what I'm trying to say, the whole thing is about this. If we reduce knowing God to knowing facts about God, or Bible verses about God, or you know the church doctrine about God, we've missed what it means to know God. First um, John talked about this. Uh, whoever does not love doesn't know God. But isn't love like an action or a it's not a checklist. It's not, well, well, this isn't true. This is true. People always want to argue with me about what they know about God. It's crazy. The only litmus test is, well, are you a more loving person? Now, I, I got a long way to go in the love category. Totally honest. You'd be surprised how easily your pastor loses his temper. You know, like, I got a long way to go in the love thing. I really do. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. Mm, one strike against. <laughs> Honestly, God, I'm not patient about anything. So I know I have a long way to go. But here's the aim. is to be more loving. What's the whole idea about knowing God? To be more? I'm like, Chris, but you always talk about that. Can't you talk about something else? But I mean, that's what it always, always points back to. It doesn't matter which way you go around it. It just points back to that. And it says, if you, if you don't love, you don't know God because God is love. So if we know, we're going to have to probably use a few of our other kinds of knowing besides just intellectual knowing. Do you remember, I don't know if any of you remember, you remember when the tsunami hit uh, over in Asia? And I think, was it Christmas Day or Christmas Eve? Christmas Day? And, and if, you, if you followed the story much, one of the things that was remarkable about the story is the animals fled. The animals went to higher ground. I was looking at pictures this week. They showed elephants, like literally getting, they were on a hillside, getting as much as they could. They were in enclosed, up as high as they could on a certain hill. Who told them? Is there an, is there an animal podcast that everybody's dialed in? 
Or do they know, look, this is huge. Is there another way of knowing that we've suppressed? Because our system says you only know here. I mean, you can, you can just argue it all that you want, but it's, we have to say that there's more. That the ways of knowing need to be expanded in our life. Now, um, if you don't love, you don't know God. But if you don't know God and you use a lot of God language, you can fool people or you can try. So when you don't have love in your heart, just use a lot of God language. Um, I was doing a little homework for Black History Month, and I, I, found, a, um, I found a sermon I was going to read to you. I think I have a couple of clips. This one's from, um, I'll show you, 1861. Remember the 60s, everybody? Little joke, just trying to keep everybody engaged, all right? But they had their own version of the 60s. Now, let's just put this in context. You can leave it up there. It's fine. Um, I'm pretty sure my great-grandma was born in 1900. My great-grandma, who I know. I, I knew well. She lived to be in her 90s, and so I knew her. So this is, you know, 39 years before she was born. So in one way you could go, man, that's forever ago. In the other way you could go, hmm, wasn't that long ago. Okay, 1861, a Baptist sermon. Um, The scriptural vindication of slavery. The scriptural vindication of slavery. Why slavery is what? Vindicated. Um highlighted the many passages. I'll, I'll throw one up there for you. This is probably one that's on your fridge. Ephesians um, 6.5. Am I right? Is it Ephesians 6.5? Let's read it together. I want to make you very awkwardly uncomfortable. No, we read verses out loud. I want to read it out loud. I want to make total awkwardness. Ready? Slaves, obey your earthly... Anybody feel awkward? I hope you do. I hope something in your gut went, didn't even feel. Some of you just refused to participate. That's a Bible verse. I can show you more. Remember, I always tell you I can play Bible bingo with the best of them. With no, but put it back up there. With respect and fear, huh? Just like you tell your kids to go to work and work hard and do it with respect and respect your boss. And with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Now think about it. This is a Bible verse. There's more. There are plenty. So, back to the sermon. Um, 1861. Sermon's titled... Now what's the idea of going to church in the 60s, to get to know God. Am I right? Or we're going to get to know God. And then you got a guy there, he's got a Bible, and he's smart. He's educated. He's, he's authoritative. I was reading about this. They said, uh, of course, back then, 
many people weren't educated. So now, you guys are educated more than me. I get that. That's okay. Um, but back then, this person was always way more educated than this person. So afterwards, you guys always tell me what I said wrong, and hey, you probably should look this up, and, that's, and I do, all right? But the reality is, there's more education here than here, all right? Now, back then, not even close. Back then, so just so context. You got context? This was like, this is the person that knows. And then he, then he added this to it, and he could go right here. And spoke with authority and passion, and uh, highlighted the many passages throughout the Bible that endorse slavery and treat it, put it back up there, as a natural and unobjectionable. It's natural. Now, next slide. Slavery, this is the, this is the sermon, forms a vital element of the divine revelation to man. Its institution, regulation, and perpetuity, a word I learned at Shark Tank <laughs> from a greedy guy that wanted to get money forever and ever and ever, perpetuity forever and ever, its perpetuity, its forever and everness, slavery's forever and everness, you getting it? constitute a part of the many of the books of the Bible. Now, next. <laughs> Ready for this sentence? Both Christianity and slavery are from heaven. I wonder if you paused for amen there. Did he go, can I get a... By the way, you know how the one particular church that's located in a country that's shaped like a boot apologized in 1991 about Galileo? A certain denomination that doesn't need me to name apologized for this around the same time. How about a lot more humility? Anybody with me? Okay. But no, here we go. Both Christianity and slavery are from heaven. Both are blessings to humanity. Both are to be perpetuated to the end of time. Christianity and slavery from heaven should go on to the end of time. I could go on. If you had time during Black History Month, you could go do your online research. Pro-slavery sermons, they're everywhere. With conviction, with authority, with God talk. And these guys talk so much God talk, so much God this, God that, heaven this, blessing this, favor this, Lord, God, Christ, blah, blah, blah. Anybody with me? There it is but they know God. Is that what it means to know God? If we're enslaving other human beings, I was going to put up pictures, I just, I just, I, I couldn't. But I, if you have a mental image of a, of a slave, 
I'm thinking, God loves this. I know God. I know Bible verses. I go to church. My pastor told me so many times. We probably need way more humility when we talk about God. Don't you wonder what mistakes we're making right now? Because it's easy to throw mud at them. Oh, yeah, those, look at those guys. Isn't it easy? wonder what mistakes we're making right now. Mistake you're making by listening to me spout nonsense. You know? What are we missing in our generation? I got some ideas. Every time I bring them up, my email inbox goes. <laughs> People grab their kids and leave the church. Do we have egg on our face for this sermon? Do, yes, the answer is yes, so please. Do we have egg on our face? So I didn't go to that church. Well, okay. Your uncle did. And will we have egg on our face again? I think so, friends. And the, thing, the argument I always gives, well, there's a Bible, the Bible says. Oh, if I hear that answer one more time, the Bible says, if you, I'm going to get a t-shirt that says Ephesians 6, 5. <laughs> What's wrong with us? Can't we be more humble and just be humble? Have you, look, look, how about this? When I say knowing is, have you ever heard somebody, whether they're an authority figure or a pastor or they quote a scripture or something like that, and just in your gut, you just go, oh, that's not right. And all you could know is, the only way you knew was here. Please tell me yes. You knew here. You're like, that's not right. But you didn't know how to argue intellectually. This happens all the time. Young, young, this happens all the time. People come into our family, our loving family, and they just get it. They get it here. But they don't, haven't been trained with all the Bible verses, and they get cornered by somebody that knows the Bible a lot, and they start going like this, and they go, Chris, I, I don't know. It just didn't feel right here, but they kept pointing to the Bible. And that's why I said, listen to, ready? There's other ways of knowing he said, Chris, what do we do with that Bible? I, I, I could do a whole series on how to understand the Bible and interpret it. And, but the point is, clearly, you can't just take it off the page. Clearly, there's got to be more to it. And there's got to be greater ways to know. Charlie's infatuated with snow. It's too cold. Is anybody with me? It's too cold. But she wants, she says, she says man, which means snowman, and ball, which means snowball. And either one, and we're inside, and it's so nice, and the fire's going, and I get coffee, and she'll start going, man, 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 I want to go make a snowman. Or ball, ball, I want, and she'll just get to the door, and she'll start crying and flailing. And so Yesterday, I didn't even care. I didn't put a coat on. I just let her walk in the snow in her socks. I didn't even care. I was so tired of it. It's truth. I just, mom doesn't know. She's not here. So don't, I just, I just, and, 
And then when she gets, she gets a snowball, she wants to hold it in her hand. to so hold the snowball. Now, talk to me about holding a snowball in your hand. She's got, I don't know, she's got like nerves of steel because she's just, her hands are, I know they're freezing. But what eventually happens when you squeeze a snowball? It goes away. It changes. This is why I honestly think it's happening. I think society is going through a major reform. Squeezing too hard on God. And the old way of understanding God is going away. God's not going away. Relax. <laughs> I didn't say that. The old way of understanding God is melting. And I'm okay with that. And the people, so many people, they're like, oh, yes. Yes. But this isn't a new trend. Don't, don't go, oh, Chris, this is... No, but I, I think there is something significant happening in our time. I really do. But this happened in Jesus' day. Do you remember Jesus saying things like this? Um, it says, He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the what? Why would he do that? And the guys are in there, like everything they learned, which they didn't have Sunday school, but, but I learned in Sunday school, if you do this, then God does this. I need to be righteous. I need to be good. I need to be Catholic. I need to be Baptist. I need to be born again. I need to be blah, 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 blah. Anybody get, get what I'm saying? Confirmed. Da, da, da. So you just can insert. He sends the rain to the confirmed and the unconfirmed. He sends the rain on those that made First Communion and those that didn't make First Communion. He sends the rain on those that said the prayer and those that didn't say the prayer. Well, that's not what it says. Okay, have it your way. What does it mean? What was Jesus doing? Blowing everyone's mind. Everything they ever knew about God was this. God is for some people, and God is against and what did he do? He went like this. God gives rain to them both. I mean, think about it. Think about how much they thought about rain in an agricultural society. Most of us think, please, God, don't let it rain. Is this right? All we think about is ourselves and if we're going golfing or skiing. That's not how they thought. They, oh God, they, they were very connected to the rain to the weather, as to their livelihood. And so to them, it was like, if you were being good or doing good, or if you were righteous, then God gave you good crops. And if you weren't, then he didn't. And this was a game changer. When Jesus comes along with the audacity, the audacity to say God is for both of them. You know, the problem is it takes the control away from the religious leaders. I got nothing on you now. I'm screwed. 
Don't quote that. Can you take that out of it? <laughs> I got nothing on you. Honestly, think, think about it. Why does it stay in the system? Because I got nothing on you. I can't go, but I'm not going to marry you, but I'm not going to bury you, but I'm not going to bless you, but I'm not going to... Because God's going to send his rain on you anyway. God is for us. Hmm. What if we thought about God a lot of how we think of Jesus? There's a revolutionary idea. Remember Jesus, if you've seen me, you've seen what? The Father. And what was Jesus doing? What, what, what did we get the idea that he went around doing? Only talking to religious leaders? Only going to synagogue? He went to synagogue. And he also went to Matthew's party. And he also ate with tax collectors and sinners and the, all the out people and the people that didn't make First Communion. That's what Jesus was doing. All right, that's the introduction. <laughs> Probably should just wrap it up. Let me just say this. Let me say this. Um, God's for you. He's for you. One of the great metaphors we have for that is we call him Father. And it's a metaphor, right? We know God's not male or female. That's not even a new idea, by the way. Don't even, write, don't even email me about that, right? <laughs> that, that's not even a new idea. But it's, a, it's an idea. It's a, it's a metaphor. It's a, it's a beautiful one. Father. I couldn't be more for Charlie. I couldn't be more for someone. I just couldn't be. We don't need to talk about this anymore, do we? God's for you. He's for you. And Paul wrote this, if God is for us, who could be against us? And you could go on and read the whole chapter of Romans 8. It's beautiful. And it talks about how God's always working for our good, right? Always working for our good. Always for our good. But here's the thing I want to leave you with. When you start to understand God in a new way, and when your old idea of God melts in your hand. I was telling somebody this the other day, because I started the whole series with all these, uh, I call them idolatrous understandings of God. But nonetheless, there are ways we understand this policeman in the sky, this guy on a you know, throne. With, they start to melt away. And someone says, yeah, but I, want, but I want one of those versions a little bit. This part, like, look. When that melts, it'll melt. Something will happen where it won't work. What you need to know is that the snow isn't gone, it's just changed. Is this true? You grasp it less. God's not gone, God's different. And what we can do is understand that what Jesus did, and we'll, we'll talk about God for us, God with us, God in us. 
Paul talked about this. God is spirit. All of a sudden, Jesus says, it's like the wind. It's a different form. But the thing that I want you to think about today is this. God's for you. And that's really good news.